Hello and welcome to Vision of Zion. This is episode 20. The date is January 29th, 2023. It's been a while since I've done a podcast. It's been since October, actually. And I've decided I'm going to make sure and get one done each week. I'm going to upload it on a Sunday evening, so you'll have it available every Monday morning. And I'm committing to do this at least weekly. So thank you for your patience. I'm going to cover some keys to understanding Latter-day Prophecy. I think before we get into the actual prophecies of the scriptures that we should go over some of the keys to how to interpret, understand prophecy, how to acquire an understanding. These are a few points that I'm going to provide to you based upon my experience and I'm going to give you some hopefully concrete examples of what I'm talking about. So let's get started. First of all, when we read the scriptures about prophecy, it's important to understand the context or the perspective of the people who are receiving and also the Lord who is giving the prophecies to a certain person at a certain point in time and the purpose for that. That right there is a lot to think about and to utilize in understanding prophecy. So I want to start with an example outside of uh, scripture study. So I had a case I was working on as an attorney with another attorney where we had a man who was driving his car down the street and a truck pulled out in front of him and he hit the side of that truck and he was injured, had to have a hip replacement, etc. And the other side wanted to know or try to understand what the driver, our client, perceived in the accident. And so they hired a photogrammatist, a person who we usually associate with studying the Earth's surface so that they can create maps. That's what I think if you look up a photogrammetry, that's what it usually will refer to. But in this case, they put themselves with a camera in the car to observe the dashboard, to observe the oncoming vehicle, the speed at which it was going. They tried to recreate a video. And so this is an example of, maybe an extreme example, of trying to see something from someone's point of view. The personal perspectives are important. What's going on around us, current events, these will all shape our understanding and perspective of Scripture. But we need to try also and place ourselves in the position of the people who were receiving these Scriptures. An example where we, in, in, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, will sometimes try and get a unique perspective on something is when we go to the temple. In the temple, for those who have not been there, we have a, an endowment ceremony where we see and go through a, a, as a temple initiate, either on our, on our own behalf or on behalf of someone who has uh, died, we try and play a role and we are advised at the beginning of the endowment that we are to observe the, the the film or the film strip or sometimes live actors who are enacting events of the past. We are supposed to pl place ourselves from the mindset or in the role of an Adam and Eve where we perceive things from their perspective and we're told to take this figuratively in understanding the events that unfold during the endowment ceremony. There's recently been a very popular 
show called The Chosen, which is illustrative of the life of Jesus Christ. And it's a very well done production. It's being seen by hundreds of millions of people all across the globe. It's become a series that people have tuned into. And really a lot of it is extremely non-historical. The dialogues, the tensions among the characters, how they lived. It's all pretty much fictional or fictionalized, but it does allow us to get into the context and into the, to place ourselves into the story with Jesus. And in that way, it's very effective because when they do get to scriptural passages that Jesus did speak and things that he did do, we have a much better understanding of maybe what it was like when he was alive and if we were to have to have been a follower or how people humanly reacted to him through his and during his sojourn on the earth and his ministry so these are these are powerful and helpful we know from going to the book of mormon nephi was born in jerusalem and then they went to the New World to resettle after they had been given directions to go there. And he was trying to explain to people what the book of Isaiah was about. And that's an important book because it has a lot of information about the last days. Isaiah is one of the best scriptural sources for Latter-day prophecy. But it's hard to place ourselves into the context of Isaiah's time. Here's what Nephi said. 2 Nephi 25.5 Yea, and my soul delighteth in the words of Isaiah, for I came out of Jerusalem, and mine eyes hath beheld the things of the Jews. And I know that the Jews do understand the things of the prophets, and there is none other people that understand the things which were spoken unto the Jews like unto them, save it be they are taught after the manner of the things of the Jews. And this term, manner of the Jews, gets used a lot in the book of uh, books of Nephi. And it's, it's pretty much difficult to really understand the full context. And even Nephi was struggling to, as these new children were born in, the, in this uh, promised land that they traveled to, it was hard, because, but he had been there, so he understood. So we have to ponder about what they saw, heard, and experienced as they uh, got these prophecies. And then we can also do study. There are books now, many books that that can put many of the events of their day and age into an historical context. Of course, we're limited by what the historians report, but that's also available to us. The next point I want to bring up, besides perspective, is we need to be patient. Okay, Do not force conclusions. You've got to let events sometimes evolve and develop, and we have this tendency as human beings to want to, as I call it, close the circle. Even without all the evidence or without a complete understanding, we like to complete our this little packet of knowledge, in this case the last days, and so we will sometimes use events or circumstances to paint a complete picture instead of what we should be doing, which is to leave the canvas incomplete and to recognize we don't have all of the information. I'm going to give you a really interesting example of this. Back in the 1840s, I think beginning 1839, there was this preacher, last name was Miller. He predicted 
that the second coming and the big fiery finish was going to occur based on his careful calculations somewhere between March 21st of 1843 and March 21st of 1844. Well, it didn't happen. And then he changed the date again to October 22nd, 1844. That was the day that Christ was going to come again. And they estimate that approximately 100,000 people, which they called the Millerites, they sold their belongings during that four or five year period and took to the mountains to wait for the end of the world to occur. Well, it obviously didn't happen. And eventually the organization changed a bit. It's my understanding that some remnant of this became the Seventh-day Adventists. But at any rate, uh, interestingly enough, the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Joseph Smith, prayed about it. And here's what he wrote. He says, I was once praying earnestly, very earnestly, to know the time of the coming of the Son of Man, when I heard a voice repeat the following, Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art eighty-five years old, thou shalt see the face of the Son of Man. Therefore, let this suffice and trouble me no more on this matter. I was left thus without being able to decide whether this coming referred to the beginning of the millennium or to some previous appearing or whether I should die and thus see his face. So Joseph Smith received this revelation right around the time that there was speculation and he was trying to confirm whether Miller was right and the Lord told him no. And at the time, Joseph was being born in 1805 would mean that the earliest that it could have occurred would be 1890. And of course, Joseph Smith didn't live because he was assassinated upon his death. But I remember finding in one of his journals a very cute quote. I think it was like the day, at, I think it was the October 22nd, 1844 date. It might have been one of the earlier predictions that got changed. But the journal entry said, this is something Joseph Smith wrote. He said, Today was a beautiful day, too beautiful for the Millerites. I'll never forget that, finding that little gem. So, yeah, we got to be careful. And this is the kind of thing we can do. I remember hearing a talk by Apostle Boyd K. Packer, the Church of Jesus Christ, who said we need to sometimes put issues on the back burner. We need to allow things to develop or to, as I would say, come into alignment before we begin to put names and faces and events to certain predictions. Remember that God is weaving a tapestry of events, and it's, it's for us to try and discover what that tapestry is going to look like. So be patient. Also, another point, there are some things that are hidden, and I believe will remain hidden, and the Lord does not want those plans to be revealed. Why? Well, I have three possible reasons that I believe this. One is, is to protect us from knowing too much. Where there is uh, knowledge and understanding, there's also accountability. So if you know too much and you're not prepared to receive it, it could be a damning set of knowledge rather than an uplifting or beneficial piece of knowledge. Next is that, I guess I just got two points. The next one is I think that uh, God wants to hide his plans from dark forces by Satan and our, our adversaries. If Satan knew all the plays that God was going to reveal or do in detail, perhaps those could be interrupted or upset or overturned by the devil if he knew all the details. This I thought was the third point, but it really isn't. It goes to back to that second point, which is the scriptures tell us that God is going to show us that his wisdom is greater 
than the cunning of the devil. All right, next point. So we've gone over perspective, patience, letting things align. Now the third one is do your homework. Okay, you can't rely on others exclusively. There's, there's things that God will reveal to you privately and personally if you will put in the time and effort. And uh, I remember there was a book with a foreword written to it by Q. Nibley. It was the book about the book of Isaiah by Avraham Gileadi. Or He said this book, because it was a really well-written book, he said this book could be titled Everything You Want to Know About the Gospel But We're Too Lazy to Find Out. <laughs> that was great. So, you know, we have to be willing to not just rely on others, but to put in our time. Now, when I was younger, I admit, I would read uh, scriptures, and I would want to go immediately to commentary by someone in authority. I remember Bruce R. McConkie had a set of books called The New Testament Commentary, and as I read the New Testament for the first time, I really relied upon his books to understand the verses. But as I got older, I found that I really didn't want to rely on the commentary of others. I wanted to rely on the Spirit to tell me what the verses meant. In conjunction with other tools, of course, but I became much more interested in the primary source, which is the Scriptures, rather than what someone told me the Scriptures meant. The time that we need to put in involves faith and prayer and study, pondering, there's a whole bunch of different ways we can do our homework. All right, another key that I want to tell you about is to understand and recognize that certain verses have different levels or dualities of meaning or interpretation. So certain verses apply to a certain place and time or places and times. Remember that the human condition is a cyclical pattern we see a very clear pattern in the Book of Mormon where we see people who are poor in spirit, receptive to God. God prospers and blesses them. They begin to get rich and prosper, and then they have pride set in, and then they begin to forget God because they become uh, temporally comfortable. They begin to forget God. They begin to sin. They begin to divide up into factions, and then they begin to fight amongst themselves, and then we have contention and war, and we have a breakdown, and then we have again a return to humility. There are other cycles in history. We can see this throughout other cultures. So these cycles mean that the scriptures can be applied sometimes in the past as well as in the present or the future, because human nature is the same. As they say, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. All right, next thing is... Figurative versus literal. When do we take things figuratively and when should we read them to be literal? So, for example, the beasts in the book of Revelation. We have the dragon, which we're told, fortunately, that represents Satan or the devil. But then we have these other beasts and they have different representations. Are they actual beasts? Are they figurative to represent something? Obviously, some scriptures are meant to be interpreted figuratively. Let me give you another example. In Joel chapter 2, verse 31, this is a very well-quoted verse. At some point during the last days, it says, quote, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Close quote. Now, does that mean that the moon will become literally blood? I don't think so. I think it means the moon's going to look red like blood. 
So that's an example of a figurative speech. Again, in the temple, we are supposed to pretend, not well, I guess the word is pretend. We're supposed to see from the point of view of Adam and Eve, and, and that's, we're told right up front, this is figurative. We're not, we're not Adam and Eve. We're in a ceremony looking, ab looking at how the earth is created, looking at the tension between God and man and our duty to obey the Lord as Adam and Eve covenanted to do before they left the Garden of Eden, and we should do the same. So these are patterns. And that leads to the next point, which is types and shadows. There are prophecies that have, again, duplicate or triplicate meaning. I want to give an example of one that I think is important. So in Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, the Lord tells Moses, quote, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him, close quote. Now, who is that prophet? Well, we know from two sources, this prophet is Jesus Christ. 3 Nephi 20, verse 23. Behold, this is Jesus talking to the multitude in Bountiful. I am he of whom Moses spake, saying, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul that will not, who will not hear that prophet will be cut off from among the people. So there's our example. Now let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2. Again, this is now, I think it's Peter, speaking about that prophecy in Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. Quote, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things, and whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that followed after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Close quote. So we're talking about Christ. When Joseph Smith had a vision where the angel Moroni appeared to him in, he was in his, he was 17, so that would have been 18, let's see, 1805 plus 17 would be 1822. He hears the following from, he, he's, uh, Moroni's talking to him and he's telling, reporting what Moroni told him. Quote, he, meaning Moroni, also quoted the second chapter of Joel from the 28th verse to the last. He also said that this was not yet fulfilled, but was soon to be. And he further stated that the fullness of the Gentiles was soon to come in. He quoted many other passages of scripture and offered many explanations which cannot be mentioned here. Close quote. So, even though at the day of Pentecost, they thought that the words of Joel were being fulfilled, they were being partly fulfilled. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 16. You see them quoting the same verses about Joel. That, you know, these things that are going on today were prophesied by Joel. But the final part, which is where they get cut off, if they fail to listen to the Savior, has not yet been fulfilled. And Joseph's being reminded that Joel still needs to be fulfilled. So again, we have this, these levels of meaning where the events and the description that Joel pro provides happened at the time of Jesus or just after Jesus, the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. And now here we are again 
with the same situation where people can prophesy and receive revelation and young men dream dreams I think it said and then but the final events of the sun being dark and the moon turning into blood and and being cut off is not yet occurred okay why did a why do I think this verse was also relayed to Joseph Smith by the angel Moroni well go to Doctrine and Covenants section 103 verse 60 this is what the Lord is ta- tells Joseph Smith this is again a, this is about the redemption of Zion meaning I won't go into all that right now but l- listen to these verses therefore I will raise up unto my people a man so this is in the future who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel for ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham and you must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm and as your fathers were led at first even so shall the redemption of Zion be therefore let not your hearts faint for I say not unto you as I said unto your fathers mine angels shall go up before you but not my presence but I say unto you mine angels shall go up before you and also my presence and in time you shall possess a goodly land he goes on to say quote verily I say unto you that my servant Joseph Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant unto whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you, which was of BNC 101, the person leading them back to Zion was going to be Joseph Smith. So Joseph is a Moses-like character, and I believe that may have been partly why Moroni said, you've got a mission to fulfill. There was Moses, there was Jesus Christ who fulfilled the prophecy, but there's still going to be people like Moses, fulfilling Moses-like tasks, not giving the law like Jesus did, but leading the people back to Zion, which is what Joseph was assigned to do. All right, next point. I want to cover one more thing. I've been talking about the scriptures can be figurative, but they also can be very literal. And I want to read this quote twice and let you think about it. We do not use or take the scriptures literally enough. We just don't. We need to take them literally as often as we can, unless it's obvious they're figurative. Otherwise, we water down the meaning. Here's an example. Hugh Nibley said, and I love this quote. I'm going to read it twice to you. He said, to be a believer, you must be a literalist with a mind open to infinite possibilities. Let me read that again. To be a believer, you must be a literalist with a mind open to infinite possibilities. Let us take the promises and the things of the Lord literally and point out the times where they're figurative, fine, but literally is not done enough. Next point, we need to rely upon the Holy Ghost to get an understanding of the prophecies of the last days. You've got to understand prophecy by the gift of prophecy, all right, and that's through the Holy Ghost. There's an example in the Book of Mormon where Nephi is getting all kinds of information, visions like his father. He's not rebelling. His brothers who are older, they're rebelling. And they said, Behold, we cannot understand the words which our father had spoken concerning the natural branches of the olive tree and also concerning the Gentiles. And I said to them, Have ye inquired of the Lord? And they said unto me, We have not. For the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. And then Nephi rebukes them and says, Behold, I say, I said unto them, How is it that ye do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that ye shall perish because of the hardness of your hearts? So the gift of prophecy can be developed, 
and Nephi wasn't selectively chosen. All of the prophets that have lived throughout history who have received revelation have all followed the same principles that are available to all of us. When a messenger appears to John in the book of Revelation, wanted to worship this person, and the man says, don't worship me, he said, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's Revelation 19.10. If you have a testimony of Jesus, you have the ability to receive revelation. We like to say, oh, I have the imp this impression. A lot of us are really shy about using the word revelation or prophecy. But when we say impressions, we're, we're saying the same exact thing, aren't we? We're receiving spiritual impressions, and we should be cultivating that, especially as we read in this context, understanding the scriptures. All right, next and final point is to be flexible. Remain as a little child. We need to be teachable. You might come up with one set of beliefs, but you've got to be open to other possibilities as you learn and grow in the scriptures. Don't set everything in cement right away. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Expounding upon that, King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon said the following, For the natural man is an enemy to God, and has been from the fall of Adam, and will be forever and ever, unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, and putteth off the natural man, and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord, and become as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Father seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a little child does submit to his father. So, be flexible, willing to draw new conclusions, be as a little child. And then one final thing I want to tell you in all this is don't take yourself too seriously. When I was a missionary, my grandfather wrote me a letter and he said, don't take yourself too seriously. Go out there and have fun. People respond to the gospel when you're happy and you show that light. I've never forgotten that advice. Don't take yourself too seriously. And in the context of this, I want to read what um, Jesus Christ said just before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and was crucified on the cross. This is what Jesus Christ said. Jesus said to his apostles, quote, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. But then he goes on to say, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Close quote. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this is the gospel. The gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fulfilled his mission on all levels. And we have overcome death and destruction. All we have to do is continue to repent of our sins and seek forgiveness and live the best that we can according to the knowledge we have. So even if you don't understand all of the prophecies all at once and all this information, 
be of good cheer. Everything's going according to plan. Does it mean we're going to not be scattered or have problems? No. But we can have inner peace. And as long as we're working towards the goal of eternal life, everything's going to work out great. So be of good cheer, my friends, as you think about these last days and the things we're about to go through. Be of good cheer. We can have peace. In closing, I'd like to leave with you these verses from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. It's my hope and prayer that you will find joy and peace in reading about the last days so that you can better prepare. Prepare yourself, prepare your families, and look forward to the glorious day and return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.